Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Tuesday, May 17th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked on Orioles podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we recap a fourth consecutive Orioles loss as the O's fall 6-2 at home against the Yankees in Game 1 of a four-game series. I'll get you the five things you need to know from an Orioles defeat. Then we'll talk about an Orioles roster move that they made over the weekend, claiming right-handed pitcher Bo Solcer off waivers from the Pirates and sending him down to AAA Norfolk. You may recognize that name because he is the younger brother of former Orioles pitcher Cole Solcer. We'll talk about Bo, what he's done in the minors and the majors so far, and how he could help the Orioles. The corresponding move was the Orioles' DFA'd Paul Fry. We'll take a look back at why Fry got to this point after he had had such success early last year and how the tables turned to have him end up designated for assignment and if he could still stick with the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we got a lot to get to here on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. But before we get to it, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked On Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Odyssey, wherever you listen. Make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review on any of those apps if you can. It really, really helps out the pod. And of course, we're right here on YouTube as well. So you can watch this podcast with my great background of a bunch of Orioles knickknacks and collectibles and whatnot. And make sure to like and comment on the videos. Hit that red subscribe button here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page so I can continue what I've been doing here on the Locked On Orioles page. We continue to see growth here on this page pretty much every week now since the season has started. And that is all thanks to you, the listener. So thanks again for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And for your first listen today, we start with another Orioles loss. They've lost four in a row now as they fall 6-2 to two to the New York Yankees in game one of a four-game series. Orioles now 14-22 and 22 through 36 games of this 2022 season. And I'm going to get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 6-2 loss to the Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And the first thing you need to know is that Kyle Bradish certainly wasn't at his best. We saw his best in St. Louis last week with the 11 strikeouts. But he wasn't as bad as his line may have showed. It was really an in-between start for Kyle Bradish. In his fourth career Major League start, he goes four and third against this Yankee lineup, first time facing them in the regular season, allowing four runs on eight hits. He struck out six, he walked three, he allowed a home run, threw 84 pitches, 48 for strikes, just four hard hit balls against Bradish, and now has a 5.06 ERA through four Major League starts. And it was a really interesting day for Bradish because obviously the big blow in this game came in the fourth inning. A three-run home run hit by Jose Trevino, his first home run of the year for the Yankee backup catcher, made it a 4-0 New York lead at the time. And, you know, it was a ball that was, you know, a pitch way up and out of the zone, a fastball that was certainly would have been called a ball had Trevino taken it. He just kind of skies it down the right field line. It looks like it's going to go foul, but it ends up hitting the foul pole down the right field line. 
I mean, the ball had an expected batting average of 110. This was not exactly a demolished three-run home run by Trevino. He certainly didn't get all of it. It wasn't even a hard-hit ball. Only 93.8 miles per hour off the bat. Traveled only 349 feet. And again, a 110 expected batting average. So a bit of bad luck there from Bradish. But, you know, his command issues early in the game did allow two runners to be on in that situation. And Trevino came through. Of course, the other run he gave up was, you know, an RBI double from Giancarlo Stanton the third. That ball was smoked off the wall. And uh, Stanton certainly <laughs> deserved the RBI on that one. He hit that ball Hard, and I mean hard, 114.2 miles an hour off the bat for that Stanton RBI double. That thing was smoked, as Giancarlo Stanton usually does. But overall for Bradish, you know, he struck out six, and, you know, the, the slider played up once again. He had eight whiffs in his 84 pitches, five of those whiffs on the slider, three on the fastball. Fastball average was right around what it's been this year, 94.4, maxed out a couple times at 96 with the fastball. But, you know, the command... Was solid with the fastball, just wasn't there with the rest of his pitches. Again, he was, you know, fastball heavy, 50% fastballs, 32% sliders. And then he threw just nine changeups and six curveballs on the night. Really didn't go to those pitches. They really, those pitches really didn't even play a factor much of the game at all. He, again, was, was heavily fastball slider, as we've really seen for Bradish through his first four starts now. And again, the slider looked really good. You know, got the five whiffs, got some strikeouts with that pitch. Uh, was able to tightrope out of a really weird first inning where he walked two, gave up an infield single, but also struck out the side and got Joey Gallo looking on a slider three and two, two outs with the bases loaded to put up a zero in the first inning. Now, he did throw 30 pitches in the first, and that's kind of what got him off to a rough start, but did get out of there with a zero. Just a really weird start. I don't know how much I want to take away from this. I think my big takeaway will be that the command wasn't great, but the slider was good. And we'll, we'll kind of go along with that. And uh, probably looks like we'll see Bradish Saturday against the Rays and see if he can uh, improve on that command in his fifth Major League start. Second thing you need to know from this one is let's stick with the pitching. Keegan Aiken was fantastic again. And he continues to get better and better pitching out of this Oriole bullpen. His longest appearance of the year, he goes three and two-thirds scoreless innings out of the Oriole bullpen, allowing just one hit, strikes out three, and walks one. Through 58 pitches in relief, only three hard hit balls against him, lowers his season ERA to 1.46 for the lefty, who had an ERA north of six in 2021 as both a starter and a reliever. And it just keeps working for Keegan Aiken going against a right-handed heavy really good Yankees lineup and he just rolled right through him I mean you know it wasn't crazy dominant six whiffs on 26 Yankee swings two on the fastball three on the changeup one on the slider but it was interesting he didn't even throw the curveball in this outing 25 fastballs 19 changeups 14 sliders for Aiken and we saw a lot of changeups because he saw a lot of right-handed hitters the changeup looked really good. The fastball was in the zone. It was, you know, right 93 to 95, as we've seen most of the season. He was throwing strikes. He was getting that high spin rate. He was throwing it up in the zone. It's working for Keegan Aiken. And he's getting righties out. You know, it's not just you know a lefty-lefty thing. He's getting everybody in the lineup out. You got to do that to throw three and two-thirds scoreless out of the bullpen. I'd love to see him continue to do this. He just continues to impress out of the pen. And, you know, I, I did question myself a little bit watching Aiken tonight. Like, oh, at what point, if this keeps working, do the O's try to transition him back into the rotation? But with all the options the O's have in the rotation, 
and you know, still hoping to get Dean Kramer back soon and obviously hoping to see Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall in the majors pretty soon. This is working, this kind of you know piggyback bridge guy role. I say just keep Keegan Aiken right where he is and, and keep him rolling out of the pen because you know I broke down in a previous episode a couple weeks ago how he's doing it. It's still kind of shocking to me that he's doing it this well, but Aiken continues to be a really, really solid and reliable weapon in long relief out of the Orioles' bullpen. Third thing you need to know is the third and final pitcher that the Orioles used in this game. Felix Bautista probably had his worst appearance at the major league level so far. He pitched the top of the ninth inning for the Orioles, allowed back-to-back solo home runs to Josh Donaldson and Anthony Rizzo. The two runs on two hits had a strikeout and a walk, first multi-home run game that he's allowed through 20 pitches and you know he did finish it strong was able to strike out Joey Gallo with three nasty split changeups Gallo swinging through all three of them for Bautista's one strikeout that did end that ninth inning but just you know a fastball it, it kind of was up and out of the zone to Josh Donaldson but he made a good piece of hitting and then you know kind of did groove a pitch to, to Anthony Rizzo not his best changeup uh, that he hit out or, or splitter I should say but did end up with four whiffs on the splitter this is just you know, kind of a, a a bad day for Felix. You know, he did throw one pitch, you know, 100.5 miles per hour. Fastball average 99. I mean, the stuff was still what the stuff has been all year. Uh, he just, you know, made a, a couple of mistakes. And I, I don't think this is any reason to, to really worry a lot about Bautista. But the one thing I would be worrying about is the Oriole offense. Because the fourth thing you need to know from the Orioles' 6-2 loss to the Yankees on Monday night is that This offense, with the pieces they're missing right now, with Ryan Mountcastle, Austin Hayes, and Jorge Mateo all out with injury, three of the Orioles' best hitters right now, this offense is inept. Just two runs on three hits in this loss after scoring just three runs in the entire series over the weekend when they were swept on the road by the Tigers. They just continue to struggle offensively. I mean, you get Mullins and Mancini combining for an 0 for 7 at the top of the order. You have the bottom four hitters in the order combining to go 0 for 11 in this game with seven strikeouts. That was Tyler Nevin, Ryan McKenna, Robinson Chirinos, and Ryland Bannon. It was not fun to watch. Orioles got only three hits. Again, it was a Rugnetto Door single who had a one for two or a one for four, and then we'll get to those two other hits in just a second. They worked only two walks. Arias and Mancini each had one, but... I mean, the Orioles struck out a whole lot. They struck out 11 times in this game, including Odor striking out to end the game against Aroldis Chapman. They need these guys back. And again, Mountcastle is still on the injured list, but Austin Hayes and Jorge Mateo are not on the IL. They just, you know, Brandon Hyde talked about, he said Hayes was potentially available to pinch hit Monday night. Mateo was not available uh, but Hyde did say he hopes to get both back in the lineup here on Tuesday against the Yankees. Uh, the healing is continuing on Hayes' hand. And, you know, Mateo's still sore from that collision with Spencer Torkelson on Sunday. But we will see. Hopefully they're both back in the lineup. I would bet that Austin Hayes is probably in the lineup. I think it's a little more questionable for Mateo. We may not see him until Wednesday. But the Orioles need these three guys back because, man, the offense without him, it is looking rough. But there was one bright spot. In the order. And that's the fifth and final thing you need to know from this Oriole loss. Anthony Santander had a two homer day. And, you know, nobody else really did anything. He had two of the Orioles' three hits, but he had two solo home runs. And he also hit a home run in the Friday game against Detroit. 
And he hit the ball pretty hard in this one. You know, not only did the Orioles only have three hits, all three of those hits were the only three hard-hit balls the Orioles had in this game. I mean, it was it was pretty sad. But Santander with two solo homers. First, he hits one in the fourth inning to get the Orioles on the board, leading off the fourth against Yankee starter Luis Severino, who pitched six really strong innings in this one. But that one was hitting left-handed and uh, just roped one out uh, towards right field on a, on a breaking ball that was below the knees. And shout-out to Zach Silver of MLB.com who tweeted out, that was the lowest pitch that any Orioles hit a home run on since StatCast started tracking it back in 2008. I mean, this was a breaking ball from Severino, a slider that was was almost in the dirt. It was at Santander's ankles. It was clearly a ball, but he went after it and basically just golfed that thing into right field for a home run. It was a pretty impressive piece of hitting, 102 miles per hour off the bat, 378 feet. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a cheapy 8-10 expected batting average. Just golfed that thing out of there. And then in the ninth inning, equally as impressive, he turned around to the right side, was hitting against a Roldis Chapman in a 6-1 game with one out, and just smokes one down the line over the big wall, 105 mile per hour off the bat, 388 feet, a 950 expected batting average on the right-handed home run. Just the third Oriole with a multi-home run game this year. Mountcastle and Hayes each have one as well. And he is the first Oriole to Homer from each side of the plate in one single game since he did it, since Santander did it against the Royals back in September of 2019. But, you know, we were probably hoping that a different Oriole hitter would be homering from both sides of the plate on Monday nights, but uh, we didn't see Adley on Monday. Just uh, look out. All I'll say is what I'm hearing. Just look out for a maybe a potential Friday debut. As I predicted a couple weeks ago on the podcast, Look out for a potential Friday debut for Adley Rutschman. But O's didn't have him. Offense was bad, and they lose to the Yankees 6-2 in Game 1 of the series. But the Orioles, you know, it's been a little bit of a rough stretch. Four losses in a row now, dropping to 14-22 and after they had been 3-0-1 in their previous four series before this little cold stretch. But it wasn't just, you know, losing over the weekend. They did make a couple of roster moves, including one that we're going to get to here Coming up, as the O's claimed, right-handed pitcher Bo Salser off waivers from the Pirates. And we're going to talk about Salser's career so far in the minors and the majors from Pittsburgh and uh, what he could bring to the Oriole bullpen if he does get that call to the big leagues. But first, let's talk about Built Bar. The best tasting, the best tasting protein bar out there on the market. 17 grams of protein in every delicious Built Bar, but you almost forget that it's so good for you, you know, barely over 200 calories, barely any sugar or carbs, but you know, they taste so good. You feel like you're eating a candy bar. All the bars covered in 100% real chocolate, great flavors like white chocolate chunk, peanut butter, brownie. They've got fruit flavors as well. They've got mint chocolate, so many different flavors and they just keep getting it done. Built Bar is always coming up with new flavors as well that you can check out and order for yourself. I mean, it really doesn't get better than that. You get a healthy snack to provide you energy throughout your day but you feel like you're eating a candy bar and it's a delicious treat for you to have. And, you know, I eat a good amount of Built Bars. It's a great snack to have and, and is the really the best of both worlds. So if you want to get your hands on some Built Bars, head over to Built.com. And if you use the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. So the Orioles fall to the Yankees 6-2 to on Monday night. But 
Turning our attention to more of a roster move scenario and down to AAA, there is a new player for the Norfolk Tides, and that is Bo Salser, the right-handed pitcher who the Orioles claimed off waivers from the Pittsburgh Pirates over the weekend and uh, immediately sent him down to AAA Norfolk. Now, to clear room on the 40-man roster, the Orioles DFA'd lefty Paul Fry, and we'll get to that part of the move in just a second. But first, let's talk about Bo Salser and learn about the newest Oriole, who, yes, will start in AAA Norfolk, but I can almost guarantee you we're going to see him at some point pitching in an Oriole uniform. But who is Bo Salser? Well, let's get the obvious part out in front. He is the younger brother of Cole Salser, who, of course, pitched for the Orioles since 2020, and then a week before opening day was traded to the Miami Marlins along with Tanner Scott earlier this year and is now pitching okay out of the Marlins bullpen. But Bo is Cole's younger brother, a couple years younger, a 28-year-old six foot two right-handed pitcher who made his MLB debut this season on April 26th with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was a Pirates draft pick, a 10th rounder selected by the Pirates back in 2017 out of Dartmouth, which is also where Cole Salser pitched. They were teammates at Dartmouth there for a couple of years, both in the same pitching rotation up in the Ivy League. But he just kind of rolled his way through the Pirates system and got himself to the big leagues in late April this year. He made four appearances out of the Pirates' bullpen before he was DFA'd. In those four appearances, he had a 3.72 ERA in nine and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen. He allowed nine runs, but only four of those runs were earned on eight hits, struck out 10, walked six, allowed a homer, and hit one batter in that stretch. Now, Solcer had an interesting stretch to the season where in his first three appearances, he went five and two-thirds innings, allowing five runs, but all of them were unearned on four hits. So he had a zero ERA through his first three appearances. He did strike out six and and walk five, which is not great in five and two-thirds innings. But despite all the runs, his defense wasn't helping him. Then things got a little out of hand and kind of an interesting appearance was ended up being his last for the Pirates. His last appearance was May 10th against the Dodgers. He pitched in long relief in that game, ended up throwing four innings against the Dodgers, allowing four runs on four hits, four Ks a walk, and a two-run homer that he allowed to Edwin Rios in that game. But he was kind of just put in mop-up duty, and then it felt like the Pirates kind of knew that they were going to DFA him, so they just let him go as long as he could in a blowout game. Pirates were down 7-0 when he entered, gave up four runs over four innings, and then was designated for assignment. And the Orioles took advantage with putting in the claim on Salser. So things were a little better early, and hey, he did give some length as well, and it's something he can do. And it is interesting because he has given length in his minor league career. He hasn't, you know, just been a reliever even lately. This year in AAA, before he got the call up to the big leagues, he was a starter in the Indianapolis rotation at AAA for the Pirates. Made three starts and had a 2.13 ERA in 12 and two-thirds innings at AAA this year. Three earned runs allowed on 11 hits, 14 Ks to just two walks and one home run allowed. So the stuff was really working as a starter in AAA, and, you know, those three starts, he was, you know, not pitching crazy deep into games, but was averaging about four innings per start, and it was giving some length. So, you know, it's something he can do as well. He's not just, you know, a one-inning guy, max two like his brother. He can, you know, stretch it out just a little bit more. But, you know, in the minors in his career, 
you know, he he made 116 appearances, 39 starts. So he has that starting acumen, but has been more of a reliever. 329 innings, a 4.04 ERA in the minors, about 8 Ks per nine and about 3 walks per nine in that time. But in terms of the stuff, he's, he's a four-pitch guy, but he's really a three-pitch guy. Uh, it's sinker, changeup, and cutter with an occasional curveball. The sinker is the pitch that you'll see the most from Bo Salser. Throws it about 38% of the time, about a 92 to 93 mile per hour pitch uh, that really is just kind of his his strike pitch, his, his get-ahead pitch, and his really try to get a ground ball pitch is what he does with that sinker. But, you know, kind of the equalizer at times is that changeup. And surprise, surprise, of course, the equalizer for Cole Salser is the changeup, has one of the best right-handed changeups in all of baseball. And the changeup is the number two pitch for Bo Salser. Threw it about 32% of the time. That's about an 83-mile-per-hour pitch, so about a 10-mile-per-hour difference between fastball and change, a 25% whiff rate. And it's interesting it's got a pretty similar shape to that changeup as Cole Salser's changeup, kind of that you know almost split change that dives down and, and a little bit down and away from left-handers, but mostly just a straight dive down, and, and you throws it to righties and lefties and gets swings and misses on that pitch to both guys. And then the third pitch is interesting. The third pitch is a cutter. He's a sinker-cutter changeup guy. It's an interesting repertoire, one you don't see a whole lot. About 23% of the time he throws that cutter, 87 to 88 miles per hour. So it takes a little bit off the fastball with some cutting action. Did have a 28% whiff rate in the big leagues this year. His one home run he allowed did come to lefty Edwin Rios on that cutter, but he really likes to jam that cutter inside to left-handed batters. He throws it more to lefties than righties, likes to jam them inside and try and get soft ground balls or pop-ups. And uh, that's kind of that that pitch that he will throw along with that changeup to left-handed hitters. And then there's a curveball. He's thrown it about 6% of the time in the big leagues. You know, hasn't used it much. Again, he's thrown nine curveballs on the year in nine and two-thirds innings. It's a 79-mile-per-hour curveball. Uh, he, he's basically only thrown it to right-handers. Hasn't hasn't thrown it to lefties this year. So it's a pitch he'll try to drop in there. But really, it, it's a sinker, change-up cutter guy. And, you know, the, the change-up does look a lot like Cole. So it's really interesting to see. Uh, what he will do for the Orioles. Now, the windup is a little different than Cole Salser. He kind of comes with his hands much lower to start and, and his body a little lower as well and then kind of raises himself up. But the end of his delivery does look like Cole's and and the changeup definitely looks like Cole's as well. But again, is the younger brother and you know did have some, some kind of underlying stat success this year in those four appearances with the Pirates. Just a 180 expected batting average against him. So he got a little unlucky. Uh, at times this year, only two barrels allowed, and uh, you know, all in all, things were 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 at least a little nice for for Salser. He did wear number sixty nine for the Pirates when making his debut back on April twenty six. But in terms of when we could see him again, immediately option to Triple A Norfolk, he'll most likely pitch out of the Tides bullpen. And if the Orioles need a righty soon, maybe we could see him. You know. There's other options, obviously, in Norfolk that are pitching well. Cole Uvula is one of the guys who comes to mind, but just gives the Orioles another option on the 40-man roster with Major League experience. And, uh, you know, Cole can help him out with uh, kind of the best things to do in Baltimore. And uh, it will probably be easier for him to get acclimated to the Orioles system knowing his brother pitched there for the last couple of seasons. But, of course, with the Orioles claiming Bo Sulcer off waivers from the Pirates, they had a full 40-man roster, so they had to make a move. And that move was Paul Fry, who has really struggled since uh, just about July of 2021. The Orioles designated Paul Fry for assignment to make room for Bo Salser. And coming up, we'll talk about 
why it was time to DFA Paul Fry and what his future looks like, either with the Orioles or in Major League Baseball in general. But first, we got to talk about rockauto.com because you know I know many of you may be getting in your cars this weekend and heading to Camden Yards. I know a lot of you did it on Monday night. I know many you know kind of thought that would be the Adley debut. It didn't work out that way, but uh, definitely take a look at getting to the ballpark this weekend, potentially for Adley to make, potentially, his debut at Camden Yards against the Rays. But if you ever need a part for your car, something goes wrong, you need to replace it, head to rockauto.com because they're not like the the chain dealerships, the auto parts stores that try to big time you and tell you how much they know about cars and you know, get you confused and maybe don't have the part you need. Rockauto.com has any part you could need for your car or truck. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years, and the website is so easy, even for me. For someone who knows nothing about cars, I can go to rockauto.com and get the part I need for my car, and I can be on my way. And, of course, the best part is they've got the best prices as well. The lowest prices you'll find are at rockauto.com. So head over to rockauto.com to get any part you need for your car or truck, and make sure to write Locked on Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So the Orioles pick up a new right-hander in Bo Salser, option him to AAA after grabbing him off waivers from the Pirates, but to make room for him on the 40-man roster, the Orioles DFA'd the left-hander Paul Fry, who has been in the Orioles' bullpen since 2018 when they acquired him from the Seattle Mariners. He has only pitched for the Orioles in the big leagues, was in the minors with the Mariners, then came over to the Orioles. And I can't say I was surprised when I saw the move was Paul Fry. It's something that had been in the works. I thought the O's might give him a little longer leash this year, but again, not the most surprising move in the world for the Orioles to make. Again, Paul Fry, 29-year-old left-hander, about to be 30 in July, and I said, has been with the O's since 2018, and it was kind of up and down this year out of the Oriole bullpen. Of course, he, he made the opening day roster after he finished last year, and he spent the final month of 2021 in AAA after just being a disaster in the second half of last year. But this year, he looked a little better, at least, than you know the second half of last year. Got the, the walk rate down, was throwing more strikes, but made 12 appearances this year for the Orioles. In 12 innings, had a 6.00 ERA, 9 hits, 9 runs, 8 earned allowed in 12 innings. Struck out 12, walked 7, allowed 1 home run, and hit 2 batters in his 12 innings of work out of the Oriole bullpen. Now, the one thing that made it a little interesting, and you could question a little the timing on DFAing Paul Fry, is that he did have 5 consecutive scoreless appearances before the DFA. He had thrown five scoreless innings over his five appearances in May, had allowed only two hits, had struck out four, and had only walked one batter in those five appearances. So in that sense, you're thinking, why is this the time you DFA Paul Fry and not April when he had three appearances when he allowed two or more runs in just an inning out of the Oriole bullpen? Well, the thing about it is, you know, despite the the weird 2021 that Fry had, where you know, the first couple months of the season, he was dominant. Didn't give up an extra base hit until June. Was getting everybody out. And yeah, you know, things started to, to slump a little bit. But, you know, you, you split his season into halves. A 4.09 ERA in 33 innings in the first half last year. A 10.67 ERA in 14 innings in the second half for Paul Fry last year. And then was optioned and spent the last month of the year basically not pitching on the AAA Norfolk roster. But, 
you know, you're asking, well, if he had five straight scoreless appearances, he was turning things around. Why DFA it? Well, when you look a little closer at the numbers, even though the results were getting better, the stuff was actually getting worse. And, and he was throwing more strikes. The walks were not an issue. Again, you know, those five innings in May, just one walk, but only four strikeouts, and the stuff was getting worse. He had a 53.1 hard hit percentage this year. He was around the, the high 30s in total last year. And again, it was much worse in the second half, but he was getting scorched. Average exit velo, 94.6 miles an hour against Paul Fry. Remember, 95 is a hard hit ball. He was basically averaging giving up a hard hit ball every time someone put it in play. He was in the mid-80s on average exit velo last year. Guys are squaring him up a lot, lot more this year. One of the big reasons, the slider has just been terrible. You know, the slider, even when he lost control last year in the second half, he could still go to that slider. He had basically zero fastball command whatsoever. And, you know, I had the potential theory that many have, have talked about as well, that he may have been a sticky stuff guy. You know, they made that that sticky stuff enforcement right around when Fry's season kind of turned on its head last year. And you maybe thought he was a sticky stuff guy who just couldn't find that grip after they made the change and thought he might need an off season to figure it out. Well, he did figure out a better grip and he can throw his fastball for a strike. Once again, his fastball has actually been much better this year than it was last year, but the slider has been the out pitch. It's been the whiff pitch. You could throw it for a strike, get a swing and miss by righties and lefties. You know, he's always been a guy who can get righties out just as much as he can. Lefties was actually a reverse splits lefty early in his career. That slider has just evaded him this year. A 524 slugging percentage against his slider. Guys only slugged 277 against his slider in 2021. Hasn't thrown it for as many strikes when he does. He's hanging it right down the middle. And he's just kind of lost that pitch. And when he's just a fastball guy who's throwing more change-ups this year, he's not effective. He needs that slider. And when he throws that slider, it's getting clobbered. When that was his best pitch, that's almost more concerning than last year when he couldn't throw a strike. And I think that's why this was the time to DFA Paul Fry. Now, you look in the Oriole bullpen, CNL Perez is in there as a lefty. We haven't seen him really in a while. He's been a little shaky lately, but still has only given up one earned run on the year. And then, of course, you have Keegan Aiken, who's dominated. And then you have Logan Allen, who we saw pitch a couple of times in Detroit and was just kind of meh. I don't think he'll be around for very long in terms of Oriole lefties in this bullpen right now. So without Paul Fry, you would think the O's would go for another lefty and, well, there's an easy choice there. I mean, Nick Vespi, who, you know, the Orioles didn't put on the 40-man, he was most certainly going to be lost in the Rule 5 draft this offseason, but the Rule 5 draft was canceled, so Vespi stays in the system. Of course, a former podcast guest that we had on over the offseason. His stats at AAA Norfolk so far this year, if you haven't been paying attention, pay attention. Vespi out of the Tides bullpen this year. 14 and a third innings, no runs allowed. He's got a zero ERA, no earned runs on six hits, 21 strikeouts to just three walks in those 14 and a third innings. It is time to call Nick Vespi up right now. He's ready to go in the bigs. I want to see him pitch to big league hitters. That slider's ridiculous. He's better than Paul Fry. Paul Fry's gone. It's got to be Nick Vespi time soon in the big leagues for the Orioles. And hopefully, it's Adley Rushman time soon as well. But just keep your eye on Friday night. But that'll do it for today's episode. We'll be back with you here on the podcast tomorrow, recapping game two of the four-game set between the Orioles and the Yankees and also keeping you up with all your Orioles news, hoping maybe we hear something about Adley Rutschman that we can talk about on the pod tomorrow 
as well. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.